if there's something that society needs more than ever is us being willing to pay attention to others. And uh, there's a paucity of attention right now. So much of a society nowadays based on, I think, social media is me, 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 me. But let me tell you something, when we make it about other people, the most valuable thing you can give someone is your attention. What that creates right there is conductivity. If you want to stand out in a new job, in a new situation, make it about the other person. Don't worry, eventually they're going to say, enough about me, tell me about you. But be curious, make it about them. Welcome to What's Next with Eric Wood, where we will prepare you to make your what's next in life your best yet by learning from high performers in a variety of industries. Our next guest is Antonio Neves. Antonio is an author, internationally recognized speaker, podcast host, award-winning broadcast journalist, and in-demand success coach. You will be inspired in this podcast to stop living your life on autopilot and receive practical ways to have success in all buckets of life. There are over 100,000 new podcasts being released each week, so it means the world to me that you spend your time tuning in this episode. If you enjoy this episode, please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, and also share it on social media so we can continue to make an impact. Enjoy. Antonio, welcome to the show. Hey, man. It's an honor. It's a joy to be here with you. Yeah, and, and uh, I'll call him Tony because uh, we, we spent a lot of time together down in St. Louis at the Ben Newman Boot Camp. So I want to honor Ben for making this connection. Uh, what a great group of people we had down there. An awesome learning experience from Ben. Stuff I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. But it was, a, it was truly a pleasure to get to know you down there. And uh, hopped right in, started reading your book, Knocked Out, Stop Living on Autopilot, which is an excellent read. We'll plug it again at the end of the show. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes, but man, truly enjoyed that read, but you're not off the hook. And I know you're a author and a speaker and a coach and everyone heard that from the intro, but we're starting off the same way we do with everybody. Talk to the listeners about where you're from and what type of athlete were you? Yeah, I'm from a state just north of where you're from, man. I was raised in a small town called Jackson, Michigan, right in the middle of the state, not super far from like a NASCAR speedway. I'm from a, a community where it was a super blue collar. This was a time when factories were rampant. Like when you could grow up and you could get a good job at the factory, take care of your family, maybe send a kid or two to college. Uh, of course, those times have, have gone. But it was a place where people got their hands dirty. It was a place where people worked overtime. Like they wanted to work overtime. Like it was a play, it was an honor to get the opportunity to work overtime. And you know, growing up where I'm from, if you would have told me what I'm doing today was possible, I would have had no idea because I ended up being a first-generation college student. But I, I wouldn't trade that small-town Michigan lakes uh, upbringing for absolutely nothing. Yeah, I've spent a little bit of time outside of Detroit, probably about 45 minutes outside. I was in town to call a broadcast, and I went outside of Detroit for the first time in my life. And, and I'd been there so many times to play. And then I went outside of it and called a uh, – during the broadcast, we were going to play golf during the day. It was a night game. And oh my gosh, it was so beautiful. This course was right on the lake. They had um, a clubhouse and then they had a boathouse at the country club. I'm like, this is unbelievable. I didn't know this existed. It should surprise me as much as the automobile industry impacted that state, how much money, especially back in the day, but even still to this day is up in that area. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the marketing tourism I know, word for Michigan is pure Michigan, and it's 100% pure. It's just absolutely beautiful. You got your big towns, but you got your small towns. The consistent thread is people are willing to work hard to earn their income. You know, a secret is northern Michigan, especially. A lot of people don't get to northern Michigan. I'm not talking about Grand Rapids. I'm talking about straight up the top of the state and into the UP. It's, it's kind of hard to get to a little bit more expensive, and I'm glad that it is because I don't want a lot of people coming in and messing it up. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, one, uh, another place I did visit in Michigan was Kalamazoo. I called a broadcast there last year and froze my tail off on the sideline. Oh, my gosh. Not a lot of fun for that one. And my mic wasn't working. I'm like, what am I even doing here? I'm about to just drive home. But uh, Hey, I, start- I spent four years. Four years in Kalamazoo, Michigan at Western Michigan University. You get that lake effect snow. Yeah, it, it will make you a grown man real quick in that cold. Well, exactly. Well, talk about Western Michigan. Talk about what type of athlete you were. Type of athlete I was. Uh, growing up, you know, I played sports year-round. It breaks my heart nowadays when you see athletes specialize so early just in mm-hmm. one sport. 
for me, it went season to season, man. It, it was it was baseball. It was track and field. Of course, it was football in the fall. It was basketball in the winter. In many ways, you know, sports were my babysitter. Uh, you know, I, I didn't always have somewhere to be. So for young people, I'm always like, have somewhere to be. And sports have always been that for me. I was fortunate enough to uh, excel in track and field. And I ended up walking on, actually, the track and field team at Western Michigan University and eventually earned a scholarship. I was a long jumper and triple jumper. I went from never doing the triple jump before in my life to eventually becoming the conference runner-up in the triple jump in the Mid-American Conference, which is, which is quite a feat uh, for me. Uh, but I'm a guy that, you know, growing up, you know, think about basketball. I was a guy that could jump, who could hustle and play defense. You don't want me dribbling. You don't want me shooting threes too often. But I think me and how I always showed up in life, and even as an athlete, you know, I was willing to do the grimy stuff. Uh, that the role player kind of stuff that didn't show up in the papers, but still ends up making a really big difference. And, and it breaks my heart sometimes because I think in sports and in life, the person that gets ignored is a consistent person, but not the star. That, that person that shows up every single day, they do their job. They're not hitting 49 home runs. Maybe only they only have like 19 or 23, but you know, they're going to give you an honest effort day in and day out. And unfortunately in society, that person gets a little bit ignored, but I, I would say I was that consistent, willing to uh, to do the work kind of dude. In football, we'd say the more you can do, the longer you'll play, and the less you'll get paid. You know, you'll you if you can play all five spots in the O line, if you can play every position in the defensive secondary, that's so hard. I mean, that takes different skill sets. That takes so much knowledge to play every spot on the back end of a defense, and you'll never be a star and you'll play forever and you won't make that much money because you'll just never be that niche player, that DH in baseball that slams home runs and gets a $200 million deal. But then you got a utility guy who's so valuable to the team. It can play anywhere on the field and you can plug him in when anybody gets hurt or someone needs a day of rest and he, he barely makes the roster every year. And so uh, that, that, that's so fitting uh, that you say that. It's, it's amazing to me that you were able to develop into that triple jump runner-up uh, conference champion it's not surprising now that I know you uh, because that resilience and that determination that it takes to adapt to change and we're going to get to your career story and you did that a number of times but it kind of reared its head in college as well talk about real quick the mentality of a walk-on and for me there's no better videos on the internet right now than the walk-ons getting the scholarship in front of the whole team. And, and the reason those are so powerful is because there's so much emotion with it. And you know how hard that walk-on had to work to earn that scholarship. And, you know, so many people in general can't afford college these days. And so you're taking all that debt off their plate. But talk about that walk-on mentality to go and earn a scholarship and, and what that truly meant. Yeah, well, first, I was a track and field athlete, so that scholarship was a partial scholarship. Hey, it probably. counts. Hey, is that a full ride? But you know what? Anything actually helped. Um, you know, the walk-on mentality is something special. It's something that I still have to this day. I think it's a part, byproduct of my upbringing, uh, seeing my father and people in my family do that factory work, being willing to work overtime. As you know, with walk-ons, nothing is guaranteed. At any point, you could be cut from the team, cut from – the roster like you truly have to show up every single day you have to be willing to do the work when no one is watching you have to be willing to do the unglamorous stuff i think what a lot of people think when they see the work that you do today and the work that i do or even when you're professional athletes or when i worked in tv for a really long time or they see me on stages in front of five thousand people i think one of the reasons why i've been able to succeed in many regards is because what people see and photos and videos, that's the glamorous part. But the other 97%, you know, behind the scenes in TV, you know, behind the scenes in locker rooms, it's not glamorous at all. And so you have to be able to show up even when it's not glamorous, not only when the lights are shining on you, but being willing to do that preparation behind the scenes. A quick story I'll tell you, after two years of being a walk-on on the track and field team, I was doing absolutely horrible. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was doing horrible because one day my head coach, Jack Shaw, rest in peace, came up to me and said, you're doing horrible. <laughs> he kept it real with me. And that was one of those moments as a walk on, a privileged walk on, he could have cut me from that team, but he did something that changed the trajectory of my life. And I share this and stopped living on autopilot. Instead of cutting me from the team, he pointed on the track to two athletes. 
Uh, one of these dudes ended up going to the Olympics. Another one ended up was a you know ended up becoming a um, uh, competing in the world championships multiple times. Both all Americans. He said, "You've been on this team two years, and not once have I seen you spend any time with those guys." Mm. He said, "Instead, you're hanging out with those guys." And he pointed to a whole bunch of guys laying back on the uh, high jump mat. Now, if you know anything about high school or college track and field, the high jump mat is essentially the club. Right. You lay back, laugh, and have a good time. Not bad people committing crimes, doing anything, but not all Americans. Coach Shaw could have cut me in that moment, but you know what he did? He just walked away in that moment. And he did something I think great leaders do. They call you up. A lot of people call you out. There's a big difference between calling someone up and calling someone out. Let's be clear. Coach Shaw was tough. He did not mince words. And that's personally what I needed. Uh, I, w I didn't spend time with those All-Americans because they got up earlier than I did. They ate better than I did. Uh, all those extra reps they did in the weight room, I didn't do. Those social events that I went to, they didn't go to. I wasn't willing to do that. But when he introduced me to that, to those folks and what they were doing, I call those people allies. Um, it changed everything for me. I started learning from them and I eventually went on to earn that scholarship and become a, uh, you know, a runner up in the, the triple jump. Uh, so what a big difference asking yourself, you know, do you want to spend time with allies, with these all Americans, or do you want to spend time with thieves? People are going to take away from you, your energy and your success. So that was a profound lesson uh, for me, for sure. It's profound and it translates to so much in life. You, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so many people think, hey, Tony, you're on this division one track team. You're surrounded by greatness. You have great coaches. You're surrounded by great individual athletes. You'll fit right in. It's all good. But on any team, there's those that are going to be willing to go the extra step. I played with maybe a couple other guys that may make the Hall of Fame, but one guy that's in the Hall of Fame currently, and it's Terrell Owens. And one of my favorite stories about T.O. is when he came on my podcast, I asked him, what's your favorite wing spot in Buffalo? He said, I don't know. I didn't eat chicken wings in Buffalo. And I said, oh, you don't like chicken wings? He said, no, I love chicken wings, but I wasn't there to eat chicken. And I said, mm. man, that is so good. That is so good because he was, he was different. You know, he was standing out. and you know, if you wanted to roll with T.O., you weren't going out eating wings because that wasn't going to be the best thing to fuel your body. And, you know, amongst any team, you know those guys that are going to push you beyond your limits. And those are the guys you, at times, if you're being lazy, you'll shy away from them. You don't want to be in their workout group. And then you realize, okay, now I'm going to set my goals right. Now I'm going to align myself with these allies, like you say. And, and that's life, too. Those are your buddies that you don't invite over because – you're worried about drinking too much in front of them because they're not really like that. And you're like, well, those are your allies. Those are the people that are trying to take you places uh, that you're not going to get yourself. But uh, yeah, get and here's an important note, an important note on that. And with what those allies provide, those quote unquote all Americans, they provide good friction. Mm -hmm. They're going to hold you accountable. They're going to push you. They're going to hold you to a higher standard. And that's why we don't want to do that. Right. But they're going to provide that ongoing friction. I think about, you know, I'm from Michigan where it snows a lot. And if it, you get stuck in the snow, you know, and that tires are spinning, you know, we'll put salt underneath that. What does that create? Friction to propel you forward. We'll put kitty litter underneath it. It creates friction to propel you forward, maybe a piece of cardboard. But it seems like in this day and age, if you give someone feedback, if you challenge, positively challenge someone, constructively do that, people want to give you the stiff arm or call you an idiot or give you a hard time when that right there is where the magic happens. If we are willing to receive that feedback, if we are willing to be held accountable, to be willing to be held to a higher standard, and it's so rare. And the truth is, I, I know for a fact, there was more of me to give during my college years. I, I could have jumped farther. I probably could have done better. And if there's anything I, I tell folks right now when I speak to student athletes is about not wanting to be 10, 15 years outside of your collegiate career saying, damn, right. I wish I gave a little bit more. That's the worst feeling. I wish I gave a little bit more during those days. I, I agree 100%. And that accountability, that friction, that's what I crave in my life now. You know, when you get out of athletics and you don't necessarily get it, that's why I have an executive coach. When my last year in the NFL, I hired an executive coach, a performance coach that I worked with personally. I only knew of one other pro athlete at the time that had one. So I was kind of stepping out. 
But for me, I was willing to take any edge at that point in my career. And, and I wish I would have done it younger. I wish I would have done it earlier in my career. Uh, I'm, I'm envious of the Alabama and Kansas State football players. They get Ben Newman as their performance coach each and every week and, and get to work with him. But it's that friction constantly. And it's countercultural nowadays. And you can't push these kids too hard. And everybody gets a trophy. But the one you're seeing, you know, that that's a generalization. And there's still so many good eggs out there that are craving. Sure. But I want to get share, to- I want to share one last thing on this, yeah. if it's okay. And I want to remind people who are listening to this is that people want to help you. And we must be willing to ask for that help. I think we forget that. There are people right now, and to be clear, people are like, well, I don't know these people. You don't have to know these people because guess what? Your allies, these people don't have to be your best friends. These don't have to be men and women that you engage with every single day, but you know they're, they're on your team, if you will. And when you reach out, they will follow up. Uh, but we have to be willing to be vulnerable to ask for that help because people do want to help you. And to your point, you did something very admirable. You know, I'm a coach. I work with top executives, athletes across the country. You know, one of the biggest investments we can make in ourselves is in ourselves. No one who has accomplished anything of significance did it alone. If you're somewhere where you need support, find a coach, join a group coaching program. Don't do it alone. That's, that's spot on. Absolutely spot on. And, and I'll, we'll, we'll get back to that because I want to follow up on where you're at exactly now. But I want you to talk, and I don't want you, you know, for those out there that want to hear his full story, it's absolutely fascinating. But go read his book, Stop Living on Autopilot. But give a quick rundown of some of your career path just to give the listeners some perspective prior to reading the book as they knock out the rest of this podcast. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what Google will tell you, but I have to remind everyone that Google tells a story, but it can never tell the whole story, the same way with social media. Uh, the internet will tell you that, you know, from 2000 to roughly 2012, uh, I worked in the television industry in New York City as a reporter, as a correspondent, producer at times with major networks like NBC, PBS, BET networks. I started on Nickelodeon. Uh, I was the dude that moved to New York City with less than $1,000 in his bank account with dreams of breaking into the television industry. Uh, made that happen uh, after a little over 12 years in that industry. And my last three years, I worked with NBC as a business correspondent, interviewing top CEOs, executives, leaders all across the country. I started falling in love with leadership. I started falling in love with company culture, uh, leadership and development. And I knew at that point, I really wanted to transition to do that type of work. So my last few years, like you, as you got that executive coach in your career, I started doing trainings for coaching. I started doing trainings for personal development work for myself because there's a lot of healing that needed to happen. And I did the scariest thing I ever did before in my life. Uh, in 2012, when I quit that TV job behind, when everybody said you were crazy to leave a successful career behind and move to Los Angeles to pursue this work in the leadership and development field. And I've been doing now that now for for about 10 years. And it's been quite the journey of writing books now, of speaking, of having a podcast. I mean, listen, I'm traveling all across the world speaking on this message of stop, li stop living on autopilot. Uh, I had a, a really pivotal, amazing moment happen just a couple of days ago when I saw my book has been translated into Croatian. Wow. And it's gonna be in Polish, and it's gonna be in Russian, and it's gonna be in Serbian, it's gonna be in Spanish, and like, small town dude from Michigan that all of a sudden has this book being published all across the world. It blows me away. Uh, I want to make sure people, they hear that story and it sounds sexy and it, and it sounds glamorous, but there's a lot behind the scenes that you'll find out in the book. Uh, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't just an easy upward uh, trajectory to make some of these things happen. <laughs> there's never an overnight success. People look at you and say, man, he went straight from, playing collegiate sports to being on television and then he's writing books and now he's speaking, but there's so many ups and downs along the way. And that's what gives him the resilience. The that's what's allowed him to earn the spot he's at to appreciate the spot he's at. He's also a, an incredible husband, an intentional father. Um, I got to spend a couple of days with him and the stories and, and hearing him just talk about his wife and his kids, you, you can get a true perspective of, who a man is. So I want to, I want to honor you in that way as well. One of the things I noticed early on about Antonio is that he is the best question asker I've ever been around. He's inquisitive, but it's not just like, Hey, where are you from? It's 
similar to what you just said about the Google, uh, the Google story about you. Like, what, what, tell me something that I can't find out on Google. Or it'd be... Ah, it was, well, so, a few things you can't find out on Google is, you know, that Nickelodeon job I told you about, I was fired from. Uh, what else can, you can't find out that for a certain period of time, I was a secret cigarette smoker. That won't show up. That cracked me up Google. in the book about the, the gardening glove. Yeah, uh, we can talk about that in a moment if you want, you know, in the book. Um, you know, the question asking is pretty fascinating. Uh, you know, by trade, I'm a journalist. Right. Is that, school got, for that. is that where you learned to become so inquisitive? Yeah. Well, I went to grad school for journalism. Uh, but no, believe it or not, man, I became a question asker and became so curious because the world would make a lot of assumptions that I'm an extrovert uh, because they see me on stages sometimes on stages in front of thousands. They'll see me for many years in TV. They'll see me in social settings, being able to connect with absolutely anyone. But the reason why I became so curious, the reason why I became a question asker is because growing up, I was extremely shy and I was extremely insecure. And so for me, my defense mechanism, when I went out to events, as even as a kid was, I'm gonna, so whereas some people stay in the corner, my mechanism was I was going to engage you, but I was going to make it all about you. I was going to ask you questions about you, not stop, but you were rarely going to ask anything. You wouldn't, I wouldn't give you the chance well, Dale, to ask anything about me. Dale Carnegie would say you. Yeah. But it came from a very insecure place, feel, but more so feeling that I was insignificant, that I didn't really have a story that, that was worth sharing. So people would leave events and they say, wow, that, that, that Antonio, he's fascinating. But damn, I didn't learn anything about him. I didn't reveal it. Uh, so that's where that came from. So yes, I am, I'm genuinely curious. I love learning about people. I love documentaries. I love biographies. I'm an observer. Like I see it. I think what makes me a, a great coach is I see things other people don't see. I hear things people don't hear. I'm able to connect dots that other people can't connect because of that curiosity, because of what people are saying. I'm putting stories are slowly but surely coming together. And for me, that is natural, but I've worked hard at it. But it's also fun. And, and lastly, it's respect as well. You know, you know, they, there's different types of listening, right? There's level one listening when we make it all about ourselves. And there's level two listening when we make it about the other person. And I think you're naturally good at this based on the time that, that we spent together. If there's something that society needs more than ever is us being willing to pay attention to others. And uh, there's a paucity of attention right now. So much of a society nowadays based on, I think, social media is me, 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 me. But let me tell you something. When we make it about other people, the most valuable thing you can give someone is your attention. What that creates right there is connectivity. If you want to stand out in a new job, in a new situation, make it about the other person. Don't worry. Eventually, they're going to say, enough about me. Tell me about you. But be curious. Make it about them. Yeah, if the listeners ever hear me kind of give a, that's awesome, or that's so great, or that's so insightful, and then pause for a second, and then kind of get to my next point, it's because I'm often, and I was convicted by someone on the podcast before who said, you know, most people are only listening to others, and then they're always setting up what they're about to say, but they're not truly listening. And so I've been trying to be so intentional about listening that at times my transitions aren't as great. But then I'm capturing all of the information firsthand in that moment. And for me, I've been able to be, uh, I feel like I've gotten better at being a podcaster. So as an athlete, you're so used to being on the other side of the microphone, the other side of the camera. You were in journalism, so you're used to asking, asking the questions. When I got into this world of sports media, I was always used to being on the other side to the point where... At times, I would see myself and other athletes so uncomfortable at a dinner setting when they didn't just want to ask you, who's the toughest guy you went against this year? or How good are the bills going to be? You, you, it, was, it was oftentimes hard for me to converse with people because I was so used to it, the information always being pulled at me. So um, I appreciate the compliment about being a good listener. And I try to be and I try to be super inquisitive because everybody has something to teach you. Everybody has something that you can learn from and, and leaders are learners. They're constantly trying to learn. Um, so one thing I want to ask you on the subject of questions, and I know you have a million and you brought up a few when we went out to dinner that night. Let's say you go to a dinner with some random people. We're going to give the, the audience something to take with them here. Give, give a couple questions that can, that's like, what are a couple of your favorite conversation starters? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll frame these maybe more so as coaching questions as opposed to the conversation Perfect. starters. But you know what? A great conversation starter. We, we just did it. What's something about you that I would never find on the internet, on Google, or LinkedIn? What a great question. Like, tell me about yourself without referencing your career. Get ready for a wild ride. It's going to be fun right. because we solely associate ourselves with what our job title is or what we used to do. But when we say, tell me about yourself without referencing your profession, people pause and they think, and they'll tell you about being that father or mother or that parent or that husband or spouse. They'll tell you about how they've traveled to over 45 countries. They'll tell you about how they're into gas, uh, not gas blowing, glass blowing as a hobby. You learn all the things, man, that make them human. I, we are more than our job titles, right? right? I know a lot of people probably look at you as, you know, uh, you know, of course, as a broadcaster now, they look at you as a former, you know, an amazing NFL player. And those are just two things about you. There are so many more fascinating things about you beyond that, right? But society gets stuck on job titles. So ask someone to describe themselves without referencing their career first. I think a good question for listeners right now, and this is a fun one, if you happen to be in a challenging place in your life, and as you know, the past 18, 20 months has been challenging for, for so many people mm -hmm. across the country, across the globe. But if you're at a pivotal point right now, especially as we gear up for the end of the year and beginning a new one, a question you can ask yourself is, if your life was a movie, what would the lead character start doing to turn things around? If your life was a movie, what would the lead character start doing to turn things around? So many of us treat our, our lives like, and we, like we're secondary characters, like we're that character actor that comes in for two lines, like, no, man, th this is our life. So when you frame it like that, when you separate yourself from the situation, if your life was a movie, you know exactly what you need to do in your marriage. You know exactly what you need to do with your health and fitness. You know exactly what you need to do with your personal finances. If your life was a movie, I'll start doing X, I'll start doing Y, I'll start doing Z. That's a fun question we can ask ourselves. Uh, I think uh, another last one that, that I'll advise is, it's a great coaching question. I use this a lot with coaching clients, and that is they're experiencing a challenge or situation or they don't know what to do if they have to make a decision. I would say if someone was in the exact same shoes that you're in right now, what would you tell them to do? Mm. And they immediately say, oh, I'd tell them to do X because it's no longer about them. They're advising someone else. So when we step out of ourselves, it makes things uh, very, very different. And, and it makes it fun as well. I like to enjoy myself with the questions I have with my clients. Don't get me wrong, they're direct to the, to the point like my book, uh, but we can have fun with those questions. For sure. And there's so many throughout the book that were so great for me to take on with my own self and, and even dealing with my wife, my kids, my buddies, uh, people in my men's group at church, whoever it may be. Uh, one of my favorite ones was, if your life was a movie, would anybody watch? Like, Ooh. is it because I, I believe that was exactly the, the directly from your book. I don't have it written down that that came back. That, no, memory. that's it. But that was what so convicting question. for me. It's like, okay, would anybody watch? And I was thinking, man, yeah, like my getting to the NFL and only having one scholarship and the injuries I dealt with in the NFL and then the career-ending injury, but like, would people want to watch what I'm doing right now? And it was convicting to me. And it's some, yes, you know, but it was good to ponder. Like, would someone want to watch me be, in a, be a rock star dad and husband in, in the things that are important to me now? I hope so. But like, I, I want to live a, a fun, exciting life that people would be entertained by. And that was a convicting one for me. I, I like that question because to your point, right, make sure we're living intentionally. So many of us are, are living on autopilot. So many of us are going through the motion. So many of us are on cruise control. And that question is all about intention. You know, what, what I like to get across in our work, and you, you're the, one of the rare people have actually experienced something I'm about to reference is I want to talk to remind people not, not to wait for a life altering event 
to live the life you're supposed to be living. Mm-hmm. You know, so many people wait for a bad health diagnosis or you hear people to get in an act car accident or something and then they change their life or something drastic has to happen for them to change things. I invite people not to wait for that to happen. You're the unique individual where you actually experienced something that was indeed life altering. And you could have went a whole bunch of different ways You could have not been doing the work that you're doing right now. But think back to hiring that executive coach you started working with before and all the the work you did leading up to that. You were prepared, even though obviously it wasn't easy and there was a challenge. And and I'm sure you would probably give it the same advice to people. Don't wait for a life-altering event to make great decisions. I, I would absolutely. And the reason I started working with this executive coach is I was an accountability partner for the other professional athlete that I knew that was working with a life coach, a executive coach, performance coach, however you want to say it, mindset coach. He was working with this individual. I was his accountability partner. And so I hit him up and he's been on the show before, James McParland, who I still work with to this day. And I said, Mac, if me and you were to start working together, where would we start? And he said, well, mm-hmm. Eric, you talk a lot about your daughter. She was two and a half at the time. He said, you talk a lot about your daughter. Let's fast forward 15 years and you're invited to speak at her high school and she's going to introduce you. What wow. does she say? And I'm not only, I'm not using this phrase just because it's pertinent to this conversation. He said, he presented two situations. One, you know, successful businessman, parlayed an NFL career, successful business career, or my daddy was an NFL player, but he's been at every recital, every event I've ever done. You know, here's my dad. You know, he's my best friend. He's like, those are two great scenarios. Just don't live your life on autopilot and get to the wrong one by accident. And I was like, oh, it's time to start living intentionally, Mac. When do we start? Here we go. And it's created this journey, but you're right. And I think God put Mac in my, re- in my life for a reason knowing that we started working together five months before my career ended and I had laid some groundwork on personal development that I had never been exposed to before that allowed me to transition, not perfectly, it's still not perfect, it's still messy at times, but transition more smoothly than if I hadn't. Um, I wanna, I wanna touch on something that honestly, this applies to me in particular. And I've heard you speak on having too many apps open. And the reason I ask this question, because I feel like a lot of times in my life, I have all these apps open and you describe how it drains your battery. So I want you to describe that philosophy. And then how do you close those apps that you don't need open in your life? Yeah, first, I just want to acknowledge, wow, what an amazing question that gentleman asked you about that and that story about your daughter. I mean, when you start, when you dig into emotion, that's when things begin to change, right? That's when we open up. That's when we become human. Like, what do you want? your kid to say about you, man. I'm thinking about that right now. That's such a profound question, such an amazing framing if you want to get results. So for Mm -hmm. all those people listening, you're trying to get results, trying to spark change in your employee, your team, your family, whoever, go to the heart. Go to the heart. Holy smokes. Uh, Regarding open apps, here's a question I have for you. And it's it's rhetorical, but I'm going to put it out there since you asked. And that is what is keeping all of your options open costing you? That's the question for all of us. What is keeping all of your options open costing you? Because we know in this life, people are like, we're getting distracted by all these shiny objects. That's another, all these great opportunities. How many great opportunities, good opportunities come across your plate, your email, your phone every single week? Far too many. First and foremost, before I get into the apps, one thing we don't do is identify what's most important. People wake up and they let the day take them. All the clients I work with, before they open their email, before they open their phone, they are already in their their notebook or their planner identifying the three most important things for the day. If nothing else happens today, these three things must get done. You know what that does? That sets intention. So when they do open their email, when they do open their phone, when they do open social media and they get asked to do X, Y, or Z, or an opportunity comes in, they're not distracted by that because they've already set their intention. They can give a stiff arm to those things. Quick reminder to everyone listening and to me, your inbox, your email inbox is not your to-do list. Let that sit in for a hot Mm. minute. Your email inbox is not your to-do list. Being busy is not the same as being effective. To your point about apps, I want people right now to think about 
a computer or their phone and imagine having a lot of apps open at the same time. What happens when you have a lot of apps at the same time, they all take up a lot of bandwidth processing speed, a lot of RAM. What does that lead to? Everything slowing down. Worst case scenario, it can lead to a crash. I've had crashes in my life, just really stop living on autopilot. We are trying to do too much. An exercise I have in the book, as you know, is I invite people to get a piece of paper out and write down all of the open apps in their life. Apps. Now people are gonna say, oh, I probably only have a few. But when you write down all the open apps with your family, all of the open apps with your work and your job, all the open apps with your church and your volunteer responsibilities and the things you do in the community, all these other open apps, that paper is going to fill up extremely fast. A challenge I have for you in the book is to identify what are the essential apps. The essential apps that need to stay open. There are plenty of exercises how you can wilt them down to the essential ones. Here, here's a great way to think about it. I'm gonna keep it real with folks. And that is, if your New Year's resolution has been the same for the past five years and it hasn't happened, take it off. It's not gonna happen. Right. Right now, it's not important to you. If it shows up every single year and has not been done, it's not essential. You have not made it essential. So take the, take the pressure off of yourself and just get rid of it. Um, if you look at your nightstand, you got six books on that nightstand that have been there for who knows and they have a lot of dust on them. Not going to happen. Get rid of five of those books and keep one on there and just finish that one book. You know, the famous author, uh, Jim Collins, he wrote one of the best business books of all time, Good to Great. Mm -hmm. There's a quote that's attributed to him and it's, uh, if you have more than three priorities, then you don't have any. Wow. I'm paraphrasing. If you have more than three priorities and you don't have any, I go to so many organizations and I'm sitting in strategy meetings and I hear someone say, and here's our 15 priorities for Q3. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. Right. 15, right? Uh, so I invite people to first identify what apps they do have open and ask themselves what's essential because what's happened is we have this this is 40 percent done this is 30 percent done this is 90 percent done this is 80 percent done this hasn't even been started start finishing things the only way we're going to create momentum is by finishing things and i'm not perfect at this myself man uh, but i have to remind myself based on my north star what i'm heading towards does this align with that and when you have what's essential, those priorities, you can look at everything and cross-reference it and say, does this align with my goal? If it doesn't, I, I'm gonna close that app for the time being. I might bring it back another day, but right now it doesn't align with what's most important in my life right now. This episode has been brought to you by Jordan Yoakum at Tom James Company. Jordan is my clothing guy and I get everything from him, from custom suits and dress clothes to casual wear. Let Jordan do the shopping for you to save you precious time that could be focused on your family, career, or hobbies. Jordan can work virtually with anyone in the world, and if he cannot personally get your measurements himself, he will have someone come get them for him. If you have put on the quarantine 15 like many have and your clothes aren't fitting properly anymore, he can also make adjustments to the clothing you already have. There's a certain confidence that comes with having clothes that fit perfect and let Jordan give you that confidence. You can contact him by email at jordan.yokum at tomjames.com or visit his website louisvillecustomclothing.com. Contact info will be in the show notes. Man, I love that explanation. And that was, that was perfectly done. That's something I need to take inventory of my life. That's why I asked it. That's why when I was preparing for this podcast, I made note of it because I knew it applied to me. And I appreciate you speaking to me through that. One more, and then we are going to uh, get to the recurring questions. And someone like you who works with so many individuals, so intentional in your own life, I'd love to just know what's your morning routine that you generally follow. I know with travel and everything else, it can get jacked up. Your ideal morning routine. On oh, my ideal morning, my, my wife and I, we have uh, five-year-old twins. Uh, when I'm in town, one thing I love doing because I travel so much is you know, getting crazy again with uh, things getting quote unquote back to normal. I love taking them to school uh, when I'm in town. So that's early. Uh, so on a perfect morning, what I love to do is get up at 4.30 or 4.45. 
which for a lot of people sounds early, but I like to remind people, we focus so much, man, on what time people wake up. You know what people never ask me? What time do you go to bed? Right. That's the question you want to ask people, not what time they wake up, because guess what? Odds are, I probably got eight hours. I probably at least got seven hours by 4.45 a.m. So I'll get up at that time. Uh, I want to get my workout in. Uh, now I've been doing that primarily, you know, my little small home gym in the garage. I'll set my intentions for the day. Uh, I will, of course, get a meal in uh, before then. Uh, if a perfect world, I'll get a, a short meditation in as well. And I'll read my hard copy of the Financial Times, <laughs> which, which I absolutely love. Uh, so again, I get up. I get that workout in. The reason why I get the workout in, man, is because that's just a victory. A victory before my kids are even awake. Um, I'll set my intentions for the day so I'm not getting distracted by emails and all those shiny opportunities and other apps that come in. I'll read that newspaper so I'm getting some education going in. And I'll get my mind right uh, with that meditation. And then, you know, it's ripping and running, getting those kids off for the day. So all that typically is done before our, our, my kids and I leave at 7 15 a.m to get them to school which is cool yeah mine's mine's not much different than that do you use an app to meditate or are you in silence what do you what do you do there i use a timer i said typically uh there's a lot there's a great book by the way on meditation that if folks want to learn more about meditation called bliss more by a dear friend of mine named light watkins and he likes to remind people in the book that throughout the ages there was no one talking into people's ears during meditation meditation takes place when it's silent. Uh, people are afraid to be silent, <laughs> though. Uh, so ease into it. But no, I typically just set a timer. I do have a mantra that I used based on the type of meditation that uh, I learned. And that meditation can be anywhere from 10 minutes, sometimes to 20 minutes. And that's funny enough. That's one of the hardest parts of my day. I agree. Like, like, like literally just saying, you know what, let me sit down for the like, I'm, I will do anything but to sit alone with myself. <laughs> yeah, I'll do 20 <laughs> extra minutes of a workout grueling before I'm willing to commit to what's probably the most important time of my day. And that's that time in silence. And Absolutely. It's so critical, man. To, we're so afraid to be alone with our thoughts. And that's where it's like, a, it's, but it's like the garbage disposal. That's, that's the garbage disposal. That's when great ideas end up popping up out of nowhere, but we, we need that. Uh, Cause we're so filled with technology and stuff all throughout the day. So I'm, I'm recommitting to making sure that happens every single day. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've just recently recommitted to it just because I felt a little cluttered in my own life. And I know that the, and during that time, I usually flush out a lot during that time. All right, let's hit a few recurring questions and we'll get you out of here. What is your favorite book? Oh, my favorite book. Oh, I, I, if you could see my bookshelf right now, I have so many over here. The book that I would recommend to people specifically on the personal development front is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Uh, it's uh, one of those all-time great personal development books that helps you overcome limiting beliefs, helps you dream again, if you will. Uh, the Big Leap is phenomenal. I appreciate that. What role does your faith play in your life? Oh, I, I couldn't exist without it. You know, I think during the challenging times, I'm leaning on something more than man. I'm leaning on something more than my bank account. I'm leaning more on just my ego and um, what, you know, quote unquote success is. Every night before we take our kids to sleep, before they go to bed, we, we say a mantra together and we say, I am strong. We say this together. I am strong. I am healthy. I am loved. I'm a conqueror. I am a child of God. I am a nephs. And we, of course, we do our prayers and all that, but just making sure, reminding them, reminding myself that I am a child of God and to surrender, man. You know, for the longest time, I'm probably answering this longer than you wanted me to. My apologies. Nope, this is perfect. For the, for the longest time, whenever I ever heard someone say you got to surrender, I thought it meant giving up. And I can't, I can't, I still remember when I realized surrendering was no, that, that meant having faith. That was trusting in something bigger than me that is taken care of. My worries, are, my worries are carried, carried, my burdens are taken care of. So that for me plays such a crucial role in my life. And I have to remind myself, by the way, I talk about recommitting. I say recommitting because we think commitment is a one-time thing. Uh, but we have to, I personally have to recommit every single day to what's most important. I can't just commit 
one day to my faith. I can't commit one day to my marriage. I can't commit one day to being a great dad. I have to recommit every single day to that. So uh, that's my answer for that. Man, that's beautiful. I, I love those I am statements with the kids. That It reminds me a little bit before, you know, I always tell Grace on the way to school, like, what are you going to do today? Make it the best day ever. All right. What are you going to do? Spread joy. Like, and yes, because I, I tell her and it's true. She's just a professional joy spreader. That's, that's her goal in life. So I'm um, like, as long as you spread joy, the rest will take care of itself. Cause God gave you that beautiful smile. I said, like, girl, people look at you and just smile. You're a joy spreader. And so uh, I try to like take a lot off of her play, a lot of pressure and just say, Grace, you just spread joy each day. But I, I truly love those. I am statements. I'm going to have to, yeah. I'm going to have to work those in a little bit more. All right, you're from the, the car capital of the world. What, what was your first car? Oh, get ready. It was a – I'm trying to remember the year. All I can tell you, it was a, a stick shift. It was a Nissan Sentra. And I'm so glad I learned in a manual in a, in a stick shift. Quick story. When I learned, no one ever took me on a hill. Now, I remember the day when I was driving that Nissan Sentra and I was on a big hill in Jackson, Michigan, and I couldn't get it going. I couldn't get that clutch. And I had to put, I had to put that parking brake on and get out the car and tell everybody to back up, back <laughs> up. I, I got to get this bad boy in the first and I might come back further than you want. Uh, but it was, it was a Nissan Sentra. I forgot about that car. Thank you. Well, that serves you well when you do international speaking and you get a stick shift rental across the pond, I'm sure. What's your favorite restaurant? Favorite restaurant. Let me think about that for a quick second. Uh, you know, let me, I'm going to mention a couple, you know, I love going to a restaurant here in Los Angeles called R and D with my wife. It's part of the, the Hillstone family of restaurants. And the reason why I like R and D so much is because every restaurant you go to of theirs of the Hillstone Hillstone restaurant group, I believe, it's just consistent. We talked earlier about consistency, right? about knowing what to expect. And the service is always fantastic. And I think we've all had restaurant experiences when one day it's great, one day it's bad. But I love going somewhere when you know what you're going to get and you know what to expect. Um, when I'm on the road, uh, I feel like when I'm in Florida, I'll, I always will hit up a, a Perkins. Uh, nothing like a uh, old country buffet when I'm on uh, the road. Uh, so those places make me happy. That's, that's a wide spectrum. I love it. Last one for me. What's next for Antonio Neves? Let's talk about, you know, I'm a dream. I want to put, put a say faith statement and say it out loud. Uh, I've been blessed uh, in, my, in my books. Uh, I've been blessed in my, in my speaking career. I've been blessed in my coaching. I'm going to continue pushing hard for those things. Uh, a dream that I had when I broke into the television industry before I actually ended up being on camera on TV was to have a television show on air. Like, still remember, try, you know, working to sell a show to Nickelodeon that almost, almost got there, but it didn't happen. A uh, big mission I have for myself right now, what I'm really excited about is right now I'm making the rounds with a, a fictionalized version of my book, Stop Living on Autopilot. That would be a, a dramedy. Don't worry, I won't be in it. There'll be other actors hired. But I'm really excited about taking your know, personal development, you know, faith kind of powerful lessons and sneaking them in to a TV show where people don't realize, yeah, they're entertained, they love the comedy, they love the drama, but at the same time, they have no idea. They just have been inspired. That they, they have just been empowered. Maybe their faith has just increased because they watched that, even though it wasn't directly, overtly in their face. So if we touch base next time on this podcast, and I can tell you I got that deal with one of the Netflix and Amazon Prime, I'll be a happy camper. I love it. And I tune in for sure. Have you watched Ted Lasso at all? Oh, have I? Man, my wife and I, we, we, we get so frustrated when we're like, why don't they release everything at the same time? But it's actually good because if you can actually appreciate it versus uh, binging. Yeah, tell me what, what were we going to say? Well, I was just going to say, you know, months ago, I might have said, you know, it's really tough. You know, everybody wants a serious drama. They want a ozarks they want a breaking bad they want a drug dealer they want a kingpin but ted lasso has a lot of just personal development it's like uh makes you feel good and we haven't watched a show like that in so long i'll be honest that it's been so refreshing for us to watch ted lasso and so similar to what you're talking about for your show coming out i think it could have 
a big impact. And I think that there is an audience for it, assuming, I mean, Ted Lasso won a bunch of awards this year. So it's, it's getting traction and it's not your stereotypical series that most people are watching nowadays. Yeah, I, I wish the, the companies would realize that we, we crave that. We want that. We want shows that we can watch with our family, both shows that make us feel good, that don't, that don't just suck us in with drama and negative and murders and all that kind of stuff. Right. And it's entertaining, but it's not, it's not great for you to just consume over and over and over. But for all those out there that I know you enjoyed, Tony, being on the show here today, I've, I've been looking forward to recording this one for a while. Check out his podcast, The Antonio Nev Show Podcast. Get his book. He's got multiple books out, but Stop Living on Autopilot is just a showstopper for me. Uh, book him at a speaking event. Where can people book you for a speaking event? Yeah, everything you need is at theantonionevs.com, theantonionevs.com. One day, that dude in Brazil is going to mess up and not renew antonionevs.com, and I'm going to get it. Until then, theantonionevs.com. That's great. Yeah, someone's got Eric Wood, so I'm ericwoodmedia.com. So at some point, I'm going to get Ewood70 or Ericwood70. Someone bought them all up, but it'll expire. They're not going to pay their, uh, their, their subscription fee on it each year. But I can't thank you enough for your time. I can't thank you enough for the impact that your work has had on me. You're a, you're a joy to be around. Keep doing your thing, brother, and I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. This episode is also brought to you by Punched Energy Chews, and these have become a favorite product of mine for energy and fitness. They use a patented formula with tons of scientific studies, and they start with pure green Arabica coffee bean caffeine. It improves your physical and mental performance, increases your metabolism, helps burn calories and body fat, and they also help boost your immunity, which is very important at this time because they're a great source of vitamin C. They're also ultra low glycemic, no spikes, no bounces, and no crashes. What you're going to do is go to punchedenergy.com, use code ericwood20 for 20% off. Give them a try. Link in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or with your followers on social media. Also, shoot us a rating and support the sponsors whose information is in the show notes. Until next time, as I tell my daughter before she leaves for school every day, spread some joy and make it the best day ever.